Hey there, 20 somethings. Welcome to I've Been There, a podcast full of conversations with real people sharing their real stories on how they got through the turbulent times of their 20s to help you get through yours. I'm your host, Nicole, also a 20 something who's undergone some serious life turbulence lately. Ready to get through those quarter life crises? Let's dive on in. Hey there, 20-somethings. Welcome back to another episode of the I've Been There podcast. Today is a very special guest and dear friend of mine, Jimmy Shimako. He is a financial advisor with his company out in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I just thought he would be great for this topic because I know in our 20s, we have a lot of questions about saving our money, budgeting, finances. What do we need to be doing with our money during this time? Because we all know we need to start setting ourselves up for the future. So Jimmy is here today to answer all of your questions about your finances and offer his expertise. But a little bit more about him is that he, again, he is a financial advisor who is committed to designing various paths for his clients so that they can live their best lives. Um, He focuses on multifaceted, comprehensive financial planning, tax planning, retirement planning, estate planning, and charitable giving, as well as investment management. He went to the University of Pittsburgh. And again, I have the pleasure of knowing Jimmy for a very long time from high school. We're both from the same hometown. So it is just awesome to have him here today. And thank you so much for joining us, Jimmy. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, absolutely. So Obviously, you are fantastic with what you do. You've been doing it for quite some time. But how did you get to where you are in your finance career? Definitely not a typical path. So I actually was a poli-sci major, thought I wanted to go to law school my whole life because when I was younger, people told me I was good at arguing, <laughs> uh, which tended out to not to really mean that I would want to become a lawyer. But Uh, the end of my junior year, I had a capstone course on the financial crises, which really kind of propelled me to gauge that interest. And I did my research on the subprime mortgage crisis in 2008, uh, which kind of led into the global financial crisis that took a few years to recover, a little bit different than what we experienced uh, in 2020 and kind of the craziness now. Mm -hmm. Uh, But but with that research and having a great mentor, I realized that finance was going to be more of what I wanted to do. Um, I didn't want to do a double major because it would be another year or two at Pitt. So I was like, I'll save money on tuition. I'll just try my best to get an interview at maybe PNC or BNY Mellon. Uh, As it turns out, I really didn't have success with that since I didn't have a financial background. But luckily, a company named Vanguard, who I I really didn't know of at that time because they didn't actually do digital marketing, uh, offered me a job. So I, I moved out to the Philadelphia area right after graduating. I worked there about two and a half years. Luckily, they had all all jacks of trades with um, undergrads there. They had art majors, everybody. They kind of just wanted to get everybody a fresh start, which is unique for a official company. And then uh, from there, I transitioned to a smaller advisory firm. I knew that I wanted to get into personal advice at that time. I'll tell you about that a little bit more as we go along, how that decision came to be about. But uh, I knew I wanted to get a certified financial planning designation, which really kind of propelled my career to where I'm at now. Uh, I left my smaller advisory firm in the in the Philly area about a year ago 
and I'm at my current firm in, in downtown Philadelphia where we specialize with ultra high net worth clients. But it's it's been good to work with kind of all walks of life on my uh, advisory career so far. Yeah, that's great. And I think that just shows, I think a lot of 20 year olds, when they get out of college, there's a lot of different routes you can take, um, especially with whatever degree that you receive. So good for you to, for your, you're kind of in where you want to be and you just led that path. I think that's so funny that people thought you should be a lawyer because you like to argue. (laughs) I I feel like I sense that about you back in, back in uh, high school and everything too. (laughs) Yeah. It seemed like it was a compliment at that time, but it it probably wasn't. (laughs) Well, awesome. So with that being said, in regard to personal finance, you you've been in that space for a few years now. What do you see 20 somethings as we are speaking to this audience here specifically struggle with the most when it comes to their own finance? It's a great point. And I think just kind of going back to what you just alluded to, not necessarily doing what you went to school for four to maybe eight years for is definitely something that is a struggle. I think a lot of people don't actually end up doing what they went to school for. And some do, which is great, but not knowing exactly what you want to do as an 18 year old or 20 year old, if you change your major is it's definitely a big influence on kind of our outlook and where we want to be. But I think just, especially in these times we live in now, uh, trying to be happy with our first job or two, knowing that we got to come in and earn our stripes and really not make maybe great money, unless you're lucky, you know, somebody of a great uncle or somebody's going to give you a great job, but try to balance that with your social life. And I, I just have this opinion that we live in like an exacerbated keeping up with the Joneses like now with uh, Instagram and Snapchat and always trying to do all these lavish things, especially at a young age, whenever you're social circles are probably a little bit bigger and you're, you're trying to keep up with everybody else. Um, but really, I think just the biggest quarter life crisis or crises is just trying to, to find your person, really know that you're on a path that's going to support wh- what you love and, and you know, offer financial stability as well. Uh, more than likely, you'll find one of the two. Um, but I know a lot of people that work really hard and work 60 to 80 hours a week, make a ton of money, but are the most unhappy people in the world. And I know people that are making maybe 12, $15 an hour, even agree. And they're happy as can be at least for now, but uh, maybe they're not worried about the the longer term as much, but really just trying to find a balance of everything in life, I think is, is really hard in your early days, even before you have kids or maybe you have kids. I mean, every situation is different, but those are kind of some of the highlights. Yeah. Like, like I've always, I always say it's very turbulent times. You're really trying to figure out who you want to be, where you want to go, who do you want to be with all of these things. And especially some of us aren't making a lot of money in our early twenties. And that's also a big stressor as well. And then, you know, we have college loans and things like that. So it can definitely be a little uncomfortable. And like I said, turbulent. But I really like what you said about the keeping up with the Joneses society kind of image that we are constantly surrounded around. And that was kind of one of the questions I was going to ask you later, but it's a perfect segue um, in especially in gar- regards to f- personal finance and money is that 
you know, let's say we get that first job or we get the job that is a a much larger salary than what we're used to. And we have money coming in. We're feeling really good. We're feeling a little bit more satisfied maybe. Um, And I know for me, I see a lot of people in their very early 20s, um, they get that first job and then all of a sudden they have this brand new car and a lot, you know, or or a new nice purse or the Yeezys and things like that. Now, of course, that is not to say that, you know, maybe it was gifted, whatever the case may be. But I think sometimes when we see all of those things, especially on social media, we start to think, oh my goodness, like maybe I'm not making enough or, you know, what am I doing with, with my own money? Like, why can't I be that successful? But at the end of the day, you really, they could be hundreds of thousand dollars in credit card debt. They could, you know, we don't really know what their situation is, but what is your advice? You know, let's say you are someone that money is rolling through and we don't want to become that person who has a bunch of credit card debt. What's your advice? Um, you know, what or what should I, I should say, what's like the best and worst thing we could do with this new money that's coming in? It's a great question. I'll start off with the first thing. I think, as you alluded to, just starting to spend and not really having a plan and having any goals and just, I mean, inherently it feels good to to buy a new shirt or a suit or any of these things if you're not materialistic, but to always live within your means is something very important, especially at this young age, because what we do now will affect us for a long time, if not for the rest of our lives. So if you're, for example, an entrepreneur and you want to kind of maybe save more money, invest more capital down the road, you're going to not definitely not going to want to go out and buy all these new things and Mm -hmm. really just live above your means. And if you're newer and you want to buy a house, you want to save money there, or you want to start really saving extra for retirement, you want to retire early. So there's just so many things that you should be doing um, and that you shouldn't be doing, excuse me, in order to just meet your goals. But I think the first thing you need to do is just sit back and realize, well, I don't have, I have income. I have way more responsibilities, financial obligations, student loans, whatever the case may be, uh, paying health insurance premiums for the first time. So just really realizing kind of where you are and where you want to go within the next few years and then also kind of having that long-term mindset as well would be the best thing to do rather than just spending and then kind of worrying about things after the problems are created. Yeah. So maybe not get that $500 monthly car payment right away is what you're saying. Yeah, unless you're you're killing it and that yeah. car pay, that car is going to really make you the happiest person in the world after a long day at work, you can afford it and it's in your budget, but until you actually go through and do that whole kind of thinking process, you you really shouldn't just go on a splurging spending spree. Yeah, absolutely. And I definitely think some of us are guilty because, you know, retail therapy, maybe we feel a little good one day and, you know, we do want to buy that. It does fit. <laughs> <laughs> maybe we do want to buy, you know, that extra shirt. Maybe we went, in, we went in for one and we come out with three. We're not saying that that's a bad thing. You can obviously treat yourself. That is totally fine. Just don't go overboard. Make sure you are staying within your means and all of that good stuff. So I guess within staying your in your means, do you have like a top five money saving budgeting tips for this age group? 
I do. It's it's hard to dial them down to about five. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go in a little bit blurb here, but please. <laughs> yeah, and, and every everybody's situation is different as well. Just want to note that. Always, yes. Yeah. One size shoe does not fit all. Mm-hmm. That is most certain with everything that I say and anything in life. Honestly, it's a good perspective to have. So as I said, I think at a high level, live within your means, always uh, think about long-term and not just the short-term. And then most importantly, I think be aware and be disciplined. I kind of have five things that I thought of, but I think I should mention. So knowing exactly how much money is coming in and then after taxes, especially, and then exactly where that money is going. There are plenty of free online tools, apps, uh, Intuit, Hint, there's NerdWallet, you can do something for free. And if you're a little bit more type A, you can make your own spreadsheet. That mm-hmm. makes you feel good, which I have done before. But I obviously am a little bit more aware of my money, given what I do probably than most uh, people in this demographic, for better or for worse. And then always determine what a necessity is, what a want is, and what a need is. Hmm. Or no, a desire, excuse me. Necessity, want, and desire. Hmm. And then also, too, within that, you'll have what's going towards debt repayment and savings. And as you said, every situation is different, but there are many believers of like a 50, 30, 20 philosophy where you're having 50% of your net pay going towards needs, meaning after taxes. You, you always can look you make before taxes and try to make a budget, but that's, that's not a good way to approach things. And then you have 30% going towards wants. It might be a little high, honestly. You might want to save more. Uh, but then 20% going towards savings and debt repayment. But if you have a lot of uh, near-term goals, you're going to buy a house or pay off your student loan debt faster, You know these numbers are going to be a little skewed. But I think that all in all, you want to make sure you're covering your needs first and foremost. They have the most heavily weighted. Uh, and then you want to control your wants and savings and debt repayment kind of in the, in the balance there. So I think those are a good first step. And then once you have an idea of your goals, you in crafting a plan. Uh, and then just a few kind of things that came come to mind. Uh, always be, be aware of the terms of the debt you have and any possible repayment programs that you may be, may be able to take advantage of. Excuse me. Uh, for example, whenever you know that interest rate, you want to know what the interest rates are when the payments are due and any other applicable fees that can occur. And just what comes to mind now in this rising interest rate environment is you probably shouldn't have got a variable rate interest interest rate, excuse me, mortgage during a rising interest rate environment. If if you did it just to save some money on the pin, you can barely afford it now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just really realizing what you sign up for, what your options are going to be, and having any contingent plans is is really important. And speaking of debt, just another kind of focusing on debt here, because it's really important, especially in your early 20s. Realize that, and I come to think that my mother, until I started working in this field and helped her out, she didn't realize that you could only, that you could pay more than the payment on your credit card. Yeah. Which is, this seems crazy, but there are so many people that don't realize that you can pay off way more than just your minimum payment and paying the minimum always is just going to lead to virtual principal going away. You're just paying interest and you're really kind of burning through money. Uh, there are certain situations where maybe you make a purchase and you're, you're going to pay it back in a month or two. So you kind of roll it, but just realizing that if you're paying more than the minimum, it's more than likely going to really affect uh, your cash flow going forward. 
And the last thing about debt too is just with student loans. I'd be remiss if I didn't mm-hmm. touch on student loans. So if you have federal loans, just make sure you're aware of, you know, if you work for a nonprofit, you can do a public service loan forgiveness program. Make sure you understand all the terms. So if you, you know, you can abide by it and within you know 10 years or however it may be, I think it's 10 years, um, you mm-hmm. can get your loans for, forgiven. Um, and then also there are income repayment plans, which would be really advantageous if you're not a high income earner and you don't expect to be maybe in the near future. So instead of just sitting around and saying, oh, wow, my I'm drowning in student loan debt, like I wish I could get this, look into your options and talk to people that know, uh, you, you can do your research, but it doesn't hurt to talk to somebody. And most of the time you can get free consultations or there's online webinars you can attend and just things you can do to really educate yourself. And uh, financial literacy is something we may struggle with in this country and all around the world. So just yeah. having a better, a better idea of what your options are and what you can do to kind of make the most, make the best out of your situation is, is really important. And the last and fifth thing, even though this sounds like 15,000 things, <laughs> these are would, all great would be to, to stick to your plan and realize that, it needs adjusting as life changes. Mm-hmm. Life is definitely not a static thing, whether it's on a daily basis, weekly, monthly, uh, yearly, a decade. So many things can change. You know, the last few years have kind of blended together. And I think we look back at 2019, we probably couldn't even tell you what life was like before yeah. the pandemic. So, um, and we're always going to, in the early 20s, have these pressures to maybe get a new job, buy a house, save for a wedding and a gate ring buy a car, uh, do these big luxurious foreign trips. There's so many things that yeah. cross our minds uh, in our early 20s and early things and beyond. So really just being diligent about your expenses, your goals, cash flow needs, and, and where you want to be is just the most important thing. And reason there are other resources if you don't have the time to do things yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Those are all really great. I wanted to touch back on the student loan portion because I know we are in this hold right now that continuously gets is being pushed where we don't have to put any money toward our student loan uh, repayment. Um, I, for one, have been paying it just because it's interest free. Why the heck not? We, you know, politics aside, we're really not sure what's going to happen, whether you know, there's some word that it'll be taken away. We won't get into all, all of that, but, you know, I think if you, if you have the ability right now to continue paying it, I recommend, I mean, I'm not a financial advisor, but I definitely recommend continuing to pay it. Even if it's just, you know, 50 bucks a month, I mean, it's interest-free. So I really feel like this is the best time to, I think this is great. Why not? <laughs> Yeah, I don't disagree. And even if you say you don't want to give it right to the government right now mm-hmm. or your other lender, just because you think it might be a forgiveness, say it's $10,000, I would recommend if this if the shoe fits, if your situation allows to put it in a separate account as if you were paying it. And then once the forgiveness period of interest mm. finally lets up, you can just make a lump sum payment that way, say... If you needed the cash in the interim, you could have access to it. Yeah. Wow. I didn't even think of think of that route. So yeah, you can put it into a different account. 
And when things start back up again, you won't have to feel like you're sweating and whatever the case may be. Yeah. And out of sight, out of mind seems to be good for that. I know I even recently opened up a new checking account just to have it be separate and have kind of like a savings account on since the interest rates are still so low for the savings accounts. So that way, if I need to, I'm actually doing the same thing for myself. Uh, So if I want to, I actually was paying directly to NailNet and then decided hey, uh, maybe I'll just kind of keep this cash here for an emergency. But the plan being that once the interest kind of picks back up, I'll make a lump sum payment and actually hopefully be done with the student loan payments. So something that you're able to do, I think it's a great way to kind of take advantage of these unprecedented mm-hmm. times. Yeah, get a little jump start. You mentioned briefly emergency funds. I personally just learned about this not that long ago. And put me in a little frantic because, uh, as every, a lot of our listeners know, I mean, I'm living at home, which has been a blessing. I have been able to save my money. Um, but you know, really what is an emergency savings fund? What does that look like? Um, and about how much obviously scenario depending, should we be putting into the, or let me rephrase that, not putting into it, but how much should we have in our emergency fund? It's a great, it's a great question. So the emergency savings fund is essentially designed to help if you were to lose your job or jobs, plural, if you have jobs. And it truly depends on many factors and your cash flow planning, but uh, the CFP board standards are essentially six months worth of your non-discretionary expenses, meaning your needs, not once your savings should be saved if you have one form income. If you have two strong forms of income or you're, you're married, your wife has a strong form of income, it's usually closer to three months, but I'd say anywhere between three to six months of your, your needs expenses. So that's going to be rent, food, those things, not um, your subscriptions and all the other things and travel things that probably aren't really shouldn't be included in your emergency savings fund. And you mentioned a great point too, if you are in a situation where you are living from home and you, you can take advantage of that. I think that it's it's really important. That's a great window to start relating to this emergency savings fund. And I think we, when we're younger, you hear these figures and it can be a lot of money because you want to mm-hmm. go towards retirement and your lifestyle needs. But if you're able to kind of gradually chip away at that and, and have like a goal to get to that number, whether it's six months or a year, and not, not in a month or two, it's not realistic in most cases, but uh, just just have that as a working goal. And then if you know you, you lose your job or you leave your job or you, you move and you need a lot of money, you have that there and you can always replenish it. You can take from it and replenish it. It's not, it's not something that just evaporates. Yeah. And I think that's something that a lot of us did learn, especially during the pandemic, was we should have a little bit of emergency, not a little bit, but we should have that emergency fund. God forbid anything happens again, that we can feel a little bit more comfortable about what we're facing and hope in hopes that we can get ahead and get back on our feet when the time is right. Um, Absolutely. I, I do joke that my quarter life crisis is living at home with my parents, but if you have the opportunity to live at home, it and it just makes sense because you really are just putting that money away. And if you do have the grateful opportunity to 
not really have to put a lot of money towards household duties and things like that. And you don't really have a car payment. I've had my car for six years, so luckily it's paid off and everything. So that is also a big chunk that is not, you know, I'm not putting it toward anything like that. So definitely a good, good start, even though it can be your quarter life crisis. I did the opposite. It definitely set me back a little bit if I'm looking at where I could have been, but I had to do it because of work. And I think at the same time, just balancing you know, life. And if you're going to be happier on your own and you can find somewhere cheap to live, then so be it. But definitely take advantage of that opportunity if you can. Yeah. Um, so another thing I wanted to ask you is if we, if we're someone who doesn't have that career that provides you with your health and retirement benefits, um, you know, how can individuals like this know and understand where they can start putting their money and what's the best advice to kind of help them get established with saving for retirement and their health insurance? It's really, really important question. Um, so I'll start with retirement benefits. I think the easiest way would be if you could, I, I always just Google, it'd be like self-employed retirement plans. You can look at, there's a SEP IRA, simple IRA, individual 401k. Uh, you could even do, if you're, if you're only going to do like six grand a year, like a Roth IRA or just a traditional IRA. And just, you can find resources that kind of compare, contrast the plans and there are administrative costs with certain plans and just kind of realizing what you need out of it and how much you're going to contribute. And then also the tax benefits, some plans, tax deductible contributions, it may come from your yourself as the employer, the employer only, they have different limits, different characteristics. So you can find a lot of helpful resources. I can provide you links after this to kind of yeah. provide to people that are interested um, but I think that's really a great step unless you have like a mentor or somebody you can talk to. I really wouldn't recommend going to um, like a financial advisor who's going to try to sell you on something, maybe necessarily not saying that I would do that. But um, if there's somebody that gets like a commission out there, like a broker who wants to set you up, they might just kind of not really get to know you and set you up with something. But uh, just getting educated and in a lot of these mm-hmm. plans, you can self-administer to open them up at like a Charles Schwab or a Vanguard or TD Ameritrade, whatever it may be. Um, so, and then a lot of the sign of FAQs or you can call and speak with yeah. reps and for free and get more information. So kind of just doing your due diligence, I would say. And the same applies for health plans, but it's a lot more complicated because yeah. it's called risk management for a reason. So you kind of have to realize how much risk you want to take. I'd say, again, uh, the parents rock. So if you are under 26 and your parents will let you stay on their plan, 100% do that unless it's they're going to make you pay for it and you can somehow get something cheaper on the market. But individual plans are almost certainly going to be more expensive than a group plan. Um, then you got to really just kind of go through and think like, do I go to the doctor a lot? Mm-hmm. Um, if, if not, maybe you want to consider a high deductible plan. You could do like a health savings account with that. Mm-hmm. But then you but say you got to go to the hospital or do something where it's going to be expensive. You got to be able to bite the bullet. And just kind of take on that risk. But say you're somebody who gets sick more often, you want to go for something with a little bit higher of a premium, less copay, all those fun things. So just kind of realizing your health, any possibilities. And if worst case scenario, if you're the big bill, what would you be comfortable with paying? What would you not be comfortable with paying? Um, and then hopefully 
if, if your business expands or you get a new job, you can get on a group plan because it's more than likely going to be cheaper. And, and as we're younger in our 20s, unless we have health issues, it's, it's going to be relatively cheap. It's as we get older and have families and dependents, things like that, it's yeah. really going to start to be a, a bigger hole in our pocket. But health insurance is uh, very important. And it's definitely something to a lot of thought in as is retirement, but just to make sure you're doing what's best for you and anybody else that depends on you or you live with. Wow. That's all great advice. And it, it sounds like it really comes down to just educating yourself. If, if yes. you don't have those resources, Google is available. Yeah. Or ask for help. Uh, but the one last thing I did want to mention too, is that if you're working with like a, a broker and an agent, make sure they are independent. They're not just affiliated mm-hmm. to an all state, all state or state farm or uh, principal, things like that, because they will try to get you the best possible rates. They'll go through all their carriers and kind of explain all their policies. They have systems that can scan and monitor things. So they're really going to help eliminate that bias and try to get you what's best for you and get you the best rates. That's really good advice. I think that's really important because we all know there are people out there who aren't in the best interest of the service that they're providing. So that is a really yeah. good tip to remember. And insurance is is definitely at the top of that list in my <laughs> in my humble opinion. So last question I have for you, Jimmy. Whole purpose of this podcast is what do you consider your quarter life crisis or what kind of advice do you wish that you had in your 20s as it pertains to personal finance? Very important question. So I'll do the quarter crisis first. So my quarter life crisis, and it's interesting, I just think about perspectives all the time. And a lot of the times we think we're having these quarter life crises <laughs> or crisis, crises, excuse me, until we experience something else that may be worse or better. But in my first few years of working, I really just didn't feel like I was filling, going to college and doing what I wanted to do and talking with mentors and people are just like, yeah, you just got to do your time and really just kind of get more experienced network. Those things were always told all the blanket answers, but all my coworkers, and there was a mixed bag of people, older, younger people, my age, everybody was miserable. And that uh, negativity really is impactful on your mental health and misery sure loves company and everybody likes to complain whenever they're feeling negative. So I just not want to, you know, get out of bed, drive into work, have a long commute, knowing that I'm going to kind of deal with these people and I'm going to be negative. And it, it was just really hard to kind of get myself to be engaged with the work. And at that time, I really didn't have any transferable skills. So I couldn't just go out and get any job I wanted. I was still 23 years old, one year of experience, a college degree that I'm not really using. So it was just, it was really hard to kind of know what my purpose was and where I wanted to go, uh, which we, we all have experienced and we will again in our life. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's tough to know, to know what you're doing is the right thing you're doing. But at the end of the day, you just got to talk with people and get the, get the perspective you need to kind of take that next step and figure that out what it might be. Yeah. Uh, and then quickly with things that I wish I knew, I think that was the question, right? Yeah. What, what advice do you wish that you had in your twenties that you could provide? I just wish that I cared more and knew that there are more resources out there to get educated. I said, financial mm. literacy is so, so important. 
And if you do have the knowledge, please pass it on. And I, I love helping. Yeah. Honestly, my clients are awesome to help out whenever I can help out somebody I know, or I know that they care about that has a really important question. They're shy to ask somebody or they're intimidated and it can really make a difference. I just think just educate yourselves, pass on that wisdom and really just do all you can to, to be informed, whether it's where your money is going, where your goals are, or where you aspire to be in 30 years or five years. It's just everything's so important and time is of the essence. Wow. That's fantastic. And I, again, I really want to reiterate educating yourself and we have the resources where we can. Um, But yeah, I really think it's something that honestly, if you didn't take a class in college or you didn't go to a, a high school or whatever that provided it, we really aren't taught a lot about personal finance and finance in general. And it's kind of a problem. Like I I really wish I would have taken a class or we had a little bit more opportunity like that, um, in high school. So the more you can do your research now, the better. All great advice we had here today from our dear financial advisor and friend, Jimmy. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for your knowledge. I know you opened up some new doors for our listeners, especially myself. So just appreciate it. Thank you again for having me. Uh, I'll provide you those links for the listeners if they'd like to go through and have any questions. Uh, I think I'd also be happy to you know, answer some high level questions. There's unfortunately a lot of regulations with being a fiduciary where I'd have to know a lot about somebody to give actual hard advice, mm. but also too, I think this is just very at the surface level. There's so much more to learn about personal finance advice, all the other categories and the things that I'd like to do. And uh, if there's any way I can help going forward, be happy to do so. Yeah. We appreciate that. Thank you so much. I will put those links and additional information from the show in the show notes. Again, as always, if you have questions, please read out, reach out via uh, Instagram at I've been there underscore podcast. If you have any topic ideas or you would like to further extend this conversation about personal finance, as always, don't hesitate to reach out. Thanks so much for being here, Jimmy. Thank you.